Welcome back to another episode of Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is my colleague and friend, Chris Coffey. Chris is the co-CEO of Tusk Strategies, but more importantly for this podcast, I think widely considered as one of the preeminent experts and practitioners of New York City politics. Would you say that's a fair? I mean, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> I knew I, you would. I, I absolutely yeah, agree. Yeah, but I, I, I think your track record speaks for itself. So, um, this 2022 should be a really interesting year in New York City and state uh, government and politics. And so I wanted to bring Chris on to kind of give us his thoughts, his predictions, his ideas. And I think one of the reasons that this was an interesting podcast to Hugo and to me is um, we have a new mayor now and Eric Adams who feels more like that kind of Ed Koch national type figure. Uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, entire disgrace uh, has made the gubernatorial thing a lot more of a headline than it used to be. Um, and then, you know, a lot of New York congressional politicians, whether Chuck Schumer or AOC or Hakeem Jeffries, for one reason or another, um, are national figures. And so I think um, the confluence of, you know, if it matters in New York, it matters everywhere is now true again. Um, I guess it wasn't true under de Blasio. It was under Mike. Uh, but now we're back. So, Chris, why don't we kick it off with our new mayor, who I think is on day three or four of his his term, um, Eric Adams. How's he doing so far? Uh, listen, he's doing uh, great. He knows the soundbite when he sees it, uh, and he I think he knows how to do uh, television interviews and uh, and get some of the pizzazz factor that we haven't had to your point for the last eight years. And then, and then more than that, I think he every mayor is compared to the last mayor, right? Every governor compared to the last governor. So de Blasio had left so much on the table in terms of his ability to really connect his pizzazz factor, his it factor, that Eric is now able to do, you know, doing a daily briefing, doing daily interviews, um, going out and knowing the soundbite, showing up for work, taking a bike to work in the morning, showing up, on time. Showing up at 8 a.m., yeah. you know, being every be, being kind of omnipresent mayor that de Blasio was not, that he'll be judged uh, at least initially very, very positively based on on some of it. Right. And, and by the way, interestingly, even though Ed Koch, Mike Bloomberg and Rudy Giuliani were all very, very different personalities, they were all omnipresent mayors. Um, and I think New Yorkers expect and want that. And I think just by Eric returning to the norm, um, there's just a lot of lot of benefit there. So uh, his hires, I would say, have actually impressed me to the point where I said to someone the other day, if I had known or believed, because he told me he was going to, I didn't believe him, I should have, that he was going to hire such talented people, we probably wouldn't have needed to run Yang in the first place, right? Because our view was um, Adams had had a long history of kind of backroom politics and corrupt dealings. Borough president was a totally do-nothing job. Uh, he would hire a bunch of hacks at City Hall, and we would there would be no improvement over de Blasio, whereas Yang would have hired and attracted lots and lots of talent. Um, but so far, it seems like he has been hiring based on talent. So what do you make of the team? He's hired a great team. He's got five women deputy mayors who are one more talented than the next. Um, I think there'll be more folks coming in. I think he's going to end up putting Phil Banks in as a deputy mayor for public safety. Um, you know, he did appoint Frank Carone as chief of staff. But I think both uh, Banks and Carone are people that have um, – I, I think Carone's gotten a bad knock in a way. Like he's given up his law practice to go uh, into government not to make money but because he, like, believes deeply in Eric and has fought for Eric for the last X amount of years. So I've actually always thought – um, that Frank is the model of chief of staff that it, that, that has a lot of uh, – that is someone you want, who right. understands politics, understands government, has spent his life kind of fighting the, for Just for things. the listeners, so Frank Carone uh, until recently was seen as kind of a backroom Brooklyn power broker, which 
uh, obviously uh, some people are, are suspicious of. Um, Phil Banks was one of the top people at the NYPD, was then implicated in the scandal that involved donors and guns and prostitution and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he was never charged with anything, but it did end his career for a while. So Adams bringing him back as a deputy mayor has been a, at least controversial topic. Yeah, and I think, listen, when Emma was appointed as, as intergovernmental affairs uh, for de Blasio, there were a lot of people who said, what is she? She's like a political hack, you know, blah, blah, blah. She leaves as probably the most um, well-regarded of de Blasio's picks, having a lot of people think she kind of helped save what they did on COVID for the last four years. I think having a relationship with the mayor and having a real passion for him and for the city is going to serve someone well. And I actually think um, that set, sets up Frank to do really well. And then some of their commissioners are, are top-notch people. They've done a great job so far on, on this. And, and what do you make of his, his police commissioner appointment specifically? Because I think Adams is, having been a cop for 22 years and coming into a period where crime and violence and shootings are all up again, um, maybe in a position to do things differently than you saw out of de Blasio. Um, what do you expect to happen out of one police positive? You know, Richard Nixon appointed a totally um, outside-the-box person as his State Department, uh, as his uh, state sec- uh, uh, Secretary of State, because he wanted to oversee the State Department. I mean, it was like he wanted to, like, that was his thing. And I think you're going to see from Eric Adams. out of the box was Kissinger, I assume? No. Before Kissinger was William Rogers, who was a random person that he, you know, was not a random person, but he was his attorney. It was Eisenhower Attorney General. Um, Kissinger was National Security Advisor, who he wanted to keep in a box, and then then turned into a Secretary of State. It was beyond, you know, and, and then Nixon needed Kissinger because because Kissinger, because Nixon had all those problems. But um, so I think Eric wanted to put an outside the box person, uh, cared a lot that she was a woman. He said he was going to appoint a woman, cared a lot that she was black uh, and and someone who really understood New York City, but that who, who he could, he and Philip Banks could help really oversee the police department. Because I think Eric thinks, uh, as he says all the time, you can't have prosperity the key to pros- the key to prosperity is safety. Uh, safety is the key to prosperity. Whatever he says all the time. Right. So, um, if if Mayor Adams called you and said, "Chris, what should I be most worried about over the next twelve months?" Um, I don't mean sort of backroom political infighting, but I just mean what, what are the substantive challenges and kind of legislative challenges that you think uh, are going to confront him the most? What would you say? You still have too many people working remote. Uh, you still you can't get the the dry cleaners back and the waiters back, and you can't unless you can figure out how to get people back in the office. Uh, you're not going to have New York City tax revenue, and you're not going to be able. You know the, the the budget has ballooned from 72 billion at the end of the Bloomberg term to 103 billion uh, in eight years. You're not going to be able to sustain that kind of budget unless you can get the tax revenue, and you can't get the tax revenue unless you can get people back at their desks. Right, and the stimulus. I mean, the reason that De Blasio was able to kind of get through the very end of his term is simply because the federal government threw so much money at cities and states and that everyone's deficits turned into surpluses and then he managed to spend all of that and and then some what happens to the city when the stimulus money runs out and if people are still not back at work you know i have been saying for a while that i think it could be calamitous for our economy what, what do you think yeah they've 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 ballooned it based on the stimulus money so what happens when they they're, they're not going to do 11 trillion dollars every time there's a new variant and I think now you've at the, you're at the end of the third variant. There's another variant coming up. It's like, are they going to do another giant stimulus? Probably not. There's another variant coming up? No, whatever oh, the next, okay. whatever the next variant like, is. Breaking Rhino. news on Firewall. Chris Coffey discovers Health, the new variant. Health whatever the next Coffey. Greek letter is. Iota or whatever. Iota. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's a huge problem. I think, by the way, the other, the other major issues, you've got police officers who – 
um, still feel like they don't want to get out of their cars. They feel like the city, you know, the city council's passed a lot of stuff. You, you could see this any different way. The, 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 the advocates would say the police department has gone way too far in beating up kids. And, and the police officers would say, we literally can't get out of our cars without risking losing our job. And the end result is they're not policing stuff that they used to police. Advocates would say that's good. Cops would say that's bad. But what you've seen is you had murders at 300 three years ago and murders approaching 500 this year. You've got major crime indexes as high as it's been since 2016 and going up. And so if you can't get cops out to do some of the things that they did, you're going to, I think you're going to see crime continue to go up and that's going to be, you know, the key to prosperity is safety. So, uh, his partner, Marin's partner, is, is also a person named Adams, Adrian Adams, and she's the new speaker of the city council. Um, who is she? How did she become speaker, and, and what do you expect from her? You know, it was really interesting. Adrian has been running for a long time. She's a Southeast Queens uh, woman, uh, smart, smart woman from Southeast Queens. Uh, she's been running for a long time. Uh, she wasn't given uh, great odds. There were other kind of more uh, uh, successful folks, not successful, more they, uh, other people with bigger coalitions front who runners, were running, yeah. front, front runners. Yeah. Um, and then this weird thing happened. Eric, you know, Mayor Adams kind of decided with Moya that Moya was going to be, you know, they just, really just liked. Just for the listeners, some Councilman Moya was sort of considered one of the odds-on favorites. There was a, a point where they thought Adams had sort of pre-selected him as the next speaker, um, and then he ended up not winning. Yeah, and there, it was a weird, you know, it, 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 it was a strange uh, set of circumstances. But uh, the counties, uh, the county Democratic parties helped pick the speaker historically. Um, and in this case, the counties were going through their process. Uh, and Moya kind of jumped out, uh, maybe with the support of Mayor Adams. Uh, and I think the counties, along with the progressives, said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't pick our speaker, we pick our speaker. And they, they worked with the unions, they looked around and they said, you know what, of all the people who are running, Adrian Adams would be a great kind of coalition answer to Moya. They ran a really good campaign, uh, along with some help from uh, Councilman Brennan and Powers and Ayala and others, and, and she won. Uh, and now she's in her, tomorrow's going to be her first real day as speaker. Um, and she's, you know, she's off to the races. And so I know one of the concerns that more centrists like you and I had uh, last year was that the DSA was running a number of city council candidates, some who were high profile, like Tiffany Caban, that they would end up kind of controlling the city council and, and driving things even further to the left. Um, how real of a concern is that now? It's so interesting. If you had said a year ago that you're going to have a moderate governor, a moderate mayor, a moderate speaker of the city council, um, you would have said that's crazy. Um, the progressives in this city council, uh, in this speaker race, uh, were not an afterthought at all. But the only reason they weren't an afterthought is because they were able to figure out a, a, a dynamic with the two counties that gave them a vote. Um, there was a period at the end of the race uh, where there were people telling the county parties, like, don't let Caban into your coalition. Um, and I, you know, I'm for one thing, you know, if if the progressives are saying I'm going to vote for Adrian Adams, you take their vote, right? Like you take their vote, you keep them in the tent, you work with them. I'd rather have I would rather have Tiffany Caban on my side than someone who's on one of the other sides who is on three different sides. Like at least, you know, where Tiffany Caban stands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, should, I, should we worry about, you know, new types of taxes or you know, bans on private property or you take the far left AOC type agenda? 
And do we now have a city council speaker who is now indebted to the Tiffany Cabans of the world that has to do what they want? No. I mean, I think I think Tiffany is going to be I think Tiffany and there's six or seven other kind of uh, progressive far. I mean, there's pro- it depends on what we count as progressives, but kind of far left. They're folks. all with a handful, yeah. three or four of them. They're all extremely progressive. Yeah. This is all a question right. of like how how far left are we? Um, and I think uh, I think they're going to do some stuff, but I don't think it's going to be anything like what folks would have predicted a year ago. And there's just not enough. You know, there was something like six of them out of 51. Uh, and so they'll they'll impact some legislation, but I don't think they'll have any of the major committees. I, that's not like they're going to have, they're going to be in charge of land use or finance or kind of the big establishment city council committees. So let, let's shift our focus uh, further north now to Albany. Kathy Hochul, I think, took over roughly September 1st from, from Cuomo. So it's been about four months. Um, how's she doing? You know, she came out yesterday for, for term limits, which I think was really smart. Yep. Uh, New Yorkers like don't want their their chief executives to be there for 300 years or their attorney general or any other things. Um, I think she's done a great job. I mean, she's she she again compared to Andrew Cuomo. All she has to do is be nice to people, be competent, show that you don't have to be Satan all the time. And people will view that well. And I think she has benefited from that. She, so she's on a honeymoon. The question is, how long does the honeymoon last? You know, does the honeymoon last through the, pri- the primaries in June? Uh, does it last through the primary or is it going to end in March? So the, the greatest beneficiaries of the uh, Cuomo de Blasio, both feud and just sort of terrible personalities, were their successors simply by not being like Andrew Cuomo, Kathy Hochul gets uh, benefit of the doubt, and simply by not being like Bill de Blasio, Eric Adams gets the benefit of the doubt. So what does her primary look like? So I think one of the great things they've done is they figured out how to keep their chief primary opponent, Tis James, out of the primary. Yeah. Tis James announced she was going to run. She had some trouble raising money. Um, and I think she likes her job as attorney general mm-hmm. more than uh, taking a shot at governor and maybe losing. She decided to stay as attorney general. She's doing a great job. Um, and that was the biggest primary hurdle that, that, that Governor Hochul had. So the two rem- three remaining... Three, yeah. Uh, she's got Bill de Blasio, who is apparently going to announce in the next week or two. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. But All right, so let's, let's, let's. Why is he running? He thinks he's been a successful two-term mayor, and he's been elected twice, and always underestimated. And do you see him having any shot at winning? No, but I didn't think he had a shot at winning in 2013. What, what would so in 2013 though? He had a coalition of kind of white progressives and Brownstone Brooklyn Upper West Side combined with African American voters from Central Brooklyn. Uh, and, and that was enough to put him over the top. Uh, are those types of voters available to him in this primary? It's hard to see how they would be. Progressives don't view him as favorably as they used to, and black people will, I would assume, be more likely to vote for Giovanni Williams. Right. Or, so, or, or Kathy Hochul, frankly. Now, with that said, on the flip side, what does de Blasio really have to lose, right? Yeah, but by the way, he didn't have that coalition until the last three or four weeks. People discounted him, including me. Like, I thought he had no chance in 2013, and he did. It, so. Except I would say, and look, I, I don't disagree with you, but in 2013, after three terms of Mike and the Great yep. Recession and us changing term limits and everything else, with turnout as low as it is in a mayoral primary, um, but being the anti-Mike was actually the right zeitgeist to win, and, that, and that's how he won. Right. What is the right zeitgeist? Isn't it just sort of not being Andrew Cuomo right I now? I think it's Kathy Hochul. It's comp- yeah. it's competency and like I'm just gonna like drive the ball forward and get stuff done. So, so what? Uh, so the other two two challengers, Jamani Williams, who's the public advocate, 
Um, do you see him being a serious threat to Hochul? Listen, he won 48 percent of the vote in the lieutenant governor race against Kathy Hochul in 2018. He would argue, I ran this race and I came four points away. Now, there's a huge difference, right? She's governor now. Um, she's done a good job as governor. Her approval rating is strong. She's raised a ton of money. Um, it's hard to see how he's going to do well. That being said, he'll get progressive votes. He'll get some black New York votes. And, you know, he's not going to embarrass himself. He's going to be uh, my guess is he's going to be the main threat. I, I can't see her losing right now, but who knows? And Tom Swazi is a congressman from Long Island, another moderate. Why is he running and what's his path? I think he doesn't like the House. I think he's tired of he thinks he's going to have a tough year. I think the Democrats are, might have a tough year uh, in the House. Yep. And he wants to get out of it. He, wa- he ran for governor in 06 against Spitzer. I think he's always wanted to be governor. And now he sees if he lets Hochul win this year, or if Hochul wins this year, that might be his only chance. Um, I don't, I just don't, I mean, he'll definitely take some moderate votes from Hochul in Long Island. I think de Blasio probably takes some black votes from Jamani in, in, in Brooklyn. And so maybe they kind of cancel each other out. Um, it's, it's hard to see a path. I think, I think Swazi thinks that Eric Adams is going to help him. And if I were a betting person, like I, endorse him, yeah, he endorsed, not so Swazi endorsed uh, right, Adam. Adam yeah. would be nuts to endorse in the primary. Uh, yeah. I, by the way, I would think if he, if he, I think he, I agree with that. If he doesn't endorse, he'll do 500 events with Hochul right. that are that are that are um, that will help Hochul. Um, whether he actually endorses or not, who knows? I agree, it's unlikely, but he'll. But I, I think if you if, if if you're Eric Adams, I think you like the partnership with Hochul. I think you know you can get stuff done with Hochul. Yeah. Um, and you need look. The mayor of New York City does need a relationship with the governor to get some of the agenda accomplished. There are things that the city has the legal authority and jurisdiction to do through home rule, and there are things that require Albany's consent. And when the mayor and the governor are at war, it, it substantively at least makes it harder for the New York City mayor to succeed. So when's the primary? Primary's in June. By the way, you know who he doesn't want as governor? He doesn't want Jamani Williams, who's a progressive, and they have some Brooklyn beef. And he didn't want Tish James. Like, I think he wanted, I think Hochul, like, is actually who he probably... It's, it's better for him. Yeah, better for, for him. sure. And then... Uh, maybe this is even worth discussing, but but who's the Republican nominee likely to be? Lee Zeldin and Andrew uh, Giuliani are running against each other. Uh, Zeldin is a congressman from Long Island, and Andrew Giuliani, who I used to babysit uh, a little bit. What was he like? He was a monster. I didn't. Pay, I, I was a camp counselor at the at, at his camp. Uh, he wasn't a monster. I mean, <laughs> people remember him from Saturday night. You know, the 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 skit at the inauguration where he like I don't know if folks remember this. This is now 1989. I found it kind of charming. And he couldn't like stop you know like misbehaving at the inauguration. He knocked over a glass, of water, over a glass of water. He knocked over a glass of water. He the inaugural speech. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. You know, he spent he spent the last four years being uh, uh, Trump's golf pro. It's hard to see how. But is that be, why Trump's so bad at golf? You know. Uh, by the way, Giuliani's good at golf. The kid is good at golf. He, he was, like, on the golf team at Duke. Um, I, I, I would think that, um, I, I, I would think that um, it's going to be a better year for Republicans, even in New York, than people think. Upstate, especially, the mandates are not popular, vaccine mandates, mask mandates. And, and we saw this a little bit in the New York City mayoral race, where all of a sudden Asian neighborhoods, Jewish neighborhoods were voting for the Republican against Eric Adams. I mean, Eric right. still won and, and overwhelmingly. What, five or six Republican city council members. Five, you know, six city council, uh, five city councilmen, highest, most, and a couple of very, very moderate Democrats. And even in races Republicans lost, instead of getting 20 percent of the vote, they were getting 45 percent of the vote. So what would be the matchup that would give the Republicans the best shot at actually winning this election? 
You need a lot of outside money. Someone like Zeldin probably. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but, uh, you know, in a hypothetical. I, I So here's my, my outside prediction is that Kathy Hochul has a harder time against a Republican than against in the primary. I think her primary is going to be easier than her general because of some of that crazy Rabbit. Stuff she can't control. Yeah, the vaccine stuff, yeah. which is insane. And I think why she's being a little bit uh, more letting the counties do what they're going to do on the vaccine instead of mandates. I think she sees some of that. She's from Buffalo. She's from upstate. Like, she sees some of that. Uh, and and that, that that's her worst scenario, is that a really bad Democratic year, the, the, the mandates and other stuff, and someone like some trillionaire puts in $25 million for Lee Zeldin, and that's the nightmare scenario. So at, at the same time that the gubernatorial race is taking place, Albany is starting a new session in the next week or so. Um, what are you expecting to see this year? Well, I think, you know, we're now going to see uh, term limits. They're still in the middle of redistricting. Redistricting, really important. Term right? limits to put it on the ballot for a constitutional amendment vote? No, this would be passing through the legislature. And that's sufficient. Yeah, this would be the governor, the attorney general, and it, it would not include the legislature, unfortunately, but it would be the governor, the attorney general, and the controller, the state, the state elected. Um, and I think you'll see, you know, they're going to have to figure out what to do on rent. Uh, you, you have a bunch of rent stuff that's still out where, you know, you haven't they haven't done evictions. They've, they haven't done any of that. We'll see how that goes. There's still some uh, there's some crypto stuff that's out there, which I think is will, will be interesting as well. But is the goal, do you think, to get in and out as quickly and non-controversially as possible since everyone is up for re-election, just kind of let, let people have the least amount of damage over the next session, focus more time, much, as much time as possible raising money and campaigning, and therefore it will be a pretty unambitious uh, session in Albany? I think so. I, I think it's also they've got to they've got to get the variant under control. So she's done a, a bunch on testing sites. She's done a bunch on sending uh, home tests to people. Um, she's working on keeping schools open. I think that's the stuff that's going to steal the show. It's harder to see some of the policy stuff getting as much attention right now. That's better for her, right? The, the, the her. less legislative controversy, the better. Um, what's the relationship like both between Andrew Stewart-Cousins, the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Carl Hastie, the Assembly Speaker, both their relationship with each other and then their relationship each with Hochul. I think they have a good relationship with each other. They're a little trepidatious, like a little like who's the bigger, you know, who's which, you know, who's which one of us is more, you know, in, in other words, uh, Hasty and and Cousins. Um, and then the 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 the, the Cousins Hasty dynamic with Hochul, I think they've spent 11 years or years with Andrew Cuomo, who has really been the biggest cat in Albany. And now they have an opportunity to be a genuine kind of partner at the table with the governor who respects them and listens to them and takes their calls. Um, so they they could, in theory, and look, I lived this when I was in Illinois, um, you know, the speaker and the Senate president can either make your life unbelievably miserable or very, very smooth. Um, you think that they will sort of yeah. lean towards smooth. Smooth. Yeah, no. I think that's right. Um, which, in a way, also, assuming that firewall listeners are a little more politically moderate, because I tend to not be that popular among the progressive crowd, um, it means the likelihood of far-left legislation that raises your taxes, puts more regulations on your business, makes New York an even less appealing place to live, is probably less likely to happen uh, in 2022. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so let, let's pivot over to the federal level now. So we also have... Uh, all of the House members up this year and Chuck Schumer up this year. Um, within the New York congressional delegation, is anyone vulnerable? Um, Carolyn Maloney's opponent is a far, li- is a far left, she has 
two potential opponents. One, Suraj Patel, who has run the last couple times and got almost, you know, barely, barely got, she barely got by him. And then there's a, a DSA uh, candidate from Queens who's running, who's gotten a whole bunch of elected endorsements. So I think Carolyn, you know, is in is in a decent place, but is going to have a tough. And she's definitely going to run. She's definitely running. And how old is she? Seventy four. Got it. So her seat. Uh, which includes, you know, all of the east side of Manhattan, you know, it's, it's probably one of the wealthiest districts, especially if you were to cut out the, the parts of Queens that are very poor. Um, let's assume this is her last term. What does the field look like to replace her? And I imagine it's a combination of lots of career politicians who think it's their turn and then some big personalities and billionaires and others. So right now, if, if you were trying to handicap, if someone came to you and said, Chris, I really want to run in 2024 for that seat, I think it'll be an open seat at that point. Um, how would you advise them? I would advise them that Carolyn Maloney is going to be dragged out of there in a stretcher. So I've, you know, so she's never retiring. I don't think she's ever retiring. She's all over the place. I mean, she, I think she got a hell of a scare, and she's tried to mitigate that by being everywhere. And it's just hard for me to, but, but you know, you never know. But I think on the west side, Jerry yeah, Nadler so has that, a much was, better chance of retiring. So first, on Maloney. If she gets us the panda bears, do you think that that secures her future? I mean, it would secure her future with me. And by the way, I grew up in that district. Um, I, in high school, dated one of her daughters. Uh, so huge, you know, caveat to everything I'm saying about Maloney. Uh, and my mom is a big Maloney fan. Maloney wins by she lost the entire district except for the uh, except for the very Upper East Side. The district is a big, sprawling district: Stytown and Williamsburg and Astoria. She lost everywhere in the district except on the Upper East Side. In the Upper East Side, she won something like 90 to 10. And as long as she's able to go in on the Upper East Side and get my mom, who literally, like, Jesus Christ could be on the ballot against Carolyn Maloney, my mom would be like, I know Carolyn Maloney. I went to church with her. I'm going to vote for Carolyn Maloney. So, like, as long as that keeps happening, like, right. it's hard to see Carolyn losing. And, and it was close last time. But, by the way, now the Siraj uh, splits, you know, splits, splits the vote with yeah, the DSA. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and the Panda Bear thing, just people know. So since Maloney was in the city council in probably, what, the 80s or 90s, her number one public issue is I'm going to get a Panda Bear for the Bronx Zoo. This has been going on for 30 or 40 40 years, um, we still don't have the panda bear. So uh, I would say if that's her mission in life, she hasn't succeeded yet, but I guess there's always still hope. Is it the Bronx you know, Zoo or is it the Central Park Zoo? God, I don't know. Oh, Maybe you're I right. Don't know. I Central Park's at least Bronx, in her district. I assume Bronx Zoo. That's, that's a fair point. Maybe it wasn't. But, I don't know. But I felt, you know, given how warm the relationship right now is between the U.S. and China, I'm sure they'll be shipping over that bear any day now. Any day now. Okay, so let's go to the west side. Jerry Nadler, who is also how old? Jerry Nadler's less old, but old. He's 70, you know, and, and 72. And in bad physical shape, and right? in bad physical shape. Um, and so he's running, though, again, right? Says he's running. There are a lot of rumors that he's not running. He has said he's running. Okay. If he does run, does he have a serious primary challenge? Not that I'm aware of. He ran, Lindsey Boylan, who um, known from, uh, you know, was one of Cuomo's biggest um, accusers uh, and women who spoke out against him, ran last time. Uh, against him, and she did not win, but she ran a spirited race, although I think she, now she's running for an assembly seat over there. Got it. Um, and if he didn't run, what does the field look like? Scott Stringer, I think, would be like the – I think uh, a lot of folks think that uh, Scott will run for that seat. Mm -hmm. um, Brad Hoylman, I think, would probably run for that seat. Uh, don't know about Chris Quinn. Don't know about Corey Johnson. Um you know, the, as of today, about 30% of the district is in Brooklyn. 25% of the district is either lower Manhattan or Brooklyn. Um, and so I think you could also have uh, someone who from Borough Park or someone uh, get into that race. Um, I don't exactly know. In other words, like if you have three people in Chelsea, Nadler, I'm sorry, Stringer, Chris, and Hoyleman, you could have in a non-ranked choice setting someone in Brooklyn 
also run and try to sweep Brooklyn. And, and given that the west side of Manhattan, at least, you know, has a lot of very, very successful, wealthy people from the private sector, um, you don't see some celebrity or billionaire thinking, I should be in Congress? So it's funny, when you said billionaire about the Maloney seat, like, I think that just shows the two, the two different worlds. Like, I, it wouldn't occur to me that a, um, a, a, a billionaire would want to be in the House. I get a billionaire running for the mayor's race and the governor or the mayor, but like wanting to be a congressman. No, it's I, a total, I just, especially in, in, in the minority. Yeah. Uh, but with that said, people do have people big do. egos and people feel like, you know, they should be something else. And they look at sort of Mike Bloomberg's transition from, you know, billionaire to, to politician, how, you know, that went until the presidential race, at least really, really well. Um, and so y- you think that Nadler's replacement, whether it's this year or in two years, will be most likely another career politician. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find. You know, Max Rose kind of came out of nowhere and held that Staten Island seat for a couple of years. It's just hard. It's hard. People don't know how to run. They don't know what it's like to get petitions. They, don't, they haven't been on the ballot before. Not impossible, but hard. And if it happened, I would think it would be much more likely in Maloney's district than Nadler's. I don't think the Upper West Side wants, like, a cabillionaire. I think the Upper West Side wants someone that goes to their club meetings and, like, you know, regular, advocates. Regular Dems. Regular yeah. Dems. And so Chuck Schumer is on the ballot this year. Uh, will he have any corner of real primary? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think that the AOC buzz w- works a lot better against the Gillibrand. Right. Um, Brandt's up in 24. Um, she's been uh, almost MIA for the last few years. Um, there was a lot of rumors that she was trying to get a job in the Biden administration. Um, I think she had a particular job in mind. She didn't. She, I don't know that it didn't. You know, she's not. She's not in that job. Um, and so I don't know whether she stands down in 24, whether she tries to get an ambassadorship, or whether she keeps running. But she has not been kind of present, at least in New York City, for the last couple of years. And, and if you're uh, first, let me just put in a little plug for Jill Brand in that listeners to this podcast know that we are fighting hard to get money for universal school meals uh, in the federal budget. Um, Jill Brand has been a real supporter of that, and I'm, I'm grateful to her for that. I love her too. No, uh, I'm just kidding. No, she's great. Yeah, I don't no, mean I'm anyway, just trying but, to but be putting like, that aside. Um, if you're AOC. Would you rather go one-on-one with Gillibrand in a 24 primary, or would you rather have an open seat? Oh, yeah, you'd rather an open seat, I think. think so. I'm not sure oh, about that. Oh, because you think other, yeah. Gillibrand will, I mean, listen, if AOC runs, she conquers the field on the left. The question yeah. is, you know, so I think you do better in a five-way race where you've got a few other folks who are dividing up the rest. But I could see it either way. Yeah. Um, it just the, the variables sort of are greater, obviously, in an open seat race than in a – look, but you, I, you but mentioned I, Scott Stringer a minute ago. I remember having, you know, this conversation with Scott in 2016 saying you should primary de Blasio and him saying, no, 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 I'll, I'll win the open race in 21. I said, there's too many variables. You don't know what the world's going to look like in 21. In 17, we have a very weak incumbent mayor who could be beatable. Yes, if you lose, then you would be unemployed because you would lose your job as controller. Um and I think in retrospect, that was the right advice. Uh, yep. He didn't listen. So, yeah, I mean, e- either way. And then uh, final thing. So we, we expect the House to flip. I think that's pretty much a, a seen as a guarantee. There was an article even yesterday in the Washington Post about Pelosi's plans to step down. Um, Hakeem Jeffries, Democratic congressman from Brooklyn, is talked about as potentially the next Democratic leader and then eventually the next speaker when the Democrats do take the House back, whenever that does happen. Um, what do you think? Is that is that realistic or is that just sort of New Yorkers pumping up one of their own? No, I think it's very realistic. They've positioned Hakeem to be kind of a young, 
uh, energetic uh, connector to both progressives, moderates, uh, people of color, non-people of color, business community. They positioned him well, and he's worked really hard. I, I have not given up total hope that Democrats can somehow hold the House o- only in that you know, it's still like eight months away or whatever it is, and lots can happen. The math's and very bad. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot can happen. It's, it's funny because I, I meant, Hugh and I, I meant to talk about this when we did our podcast for, for Tuesday and realized that we didn't, we kind of didn't get to it. But like, what would have to happen to change the equation enough to then all of a sudden give the Democrats a decent shot at holding the House? Pandemic goes away. So, so, you know, you think uh, it's as simple as that? So, so, something, you know, huge happens like that. Uh, that allows the Democrats to say we won or we did this. And, but and there's no way, world in which we're not going to be worried about new variants next fall, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a period. Listen, Eric, part of when the city was closed, it was a harder, you know, there was, there was a three-month period where New York City opened up, crime went up, pandemic was under control, and the election became for three months about crime. If the election was today, it wouldn't be about crime. It would be about the pandemic. Right. So could you have a period where it really looks like the pandemic is really under control? Um, we've, we, we can come out and say, declare victory against the pandemic. Life is back to normal. People go back to their jobs. Yay, Joe Biden. Yay, Nancy Pelosi. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. But I just think, you know, it, life is a long way away. It's hard to make these kind of, you know, you, you can say, I think the Republicans have a pretty good chance, but I don't, you know. Fa- fair enough. But do you, um, I guess this is the last question, but but it, let's assume that what you're proposing isn't entirely feasible simply because new variants keep popping up. You tried to announce one 20 minutes ago. Um, Iona. Yeah, <laughs> um, so um, anything else? Is there anything Congress could do? Was there anything Biden could do at this point to kind of change the, the, the fate here, the trajectory, or absent sort of COVID being officially conquered, is there really nothing to say to them? I mean, they have they have an opportunity to do more on, on housing. They have an opportunity to do more on student debt. Uh, and, I, but, you know, just to get back to the Hakeem thing, I think Hakeem has positioned himself really well to be that leader. Part, part of the issues that Democrats have now is Joe Biden is 78. Nancy Pelosi, seven, I mean, I, I forget, Nancy Pelosi, 77, Joe Biden, 78, James Clyburn, 76. Like, they're all, they're all really old. And I think they need some young, fresh talent. I look at someone like Richie Torres, who's, you know, a congressman from the Bronx, uh, who is 33, uh, black, Latino, gay, um, not, you know, sort of not a progressive, but not a moderate somewhere in the middle. And I say, like, he's the guy you'd want outside doing these things. Hakeem is a little bit like a more, you know, has been their longer version in some ways of Richie, who can really be a real, you know, symbol to young people, old people, medium people. And I think that'll do them well. And they need more candidates like that. All right. Last, last question. Last, last. What are the percentage chances of this happening? So we are now in October of 2024. And in this scenario, Hakeem is the Democratic majority leader and looks like on his way to capturing the House back. Schumer remains Senate majority leader. AOC is the Democratic nominee for Senate and about to sort of walk in into the job. And Eric Adams is the Democratic nominee for president. I love, I love, there's nothing more I love. I saw Nate Silver tweet about this yesterday, like, oh, my God, like, Eric Adams is going to be, is has a top three chance for Democratic primary in 2024. The guy's been there for three days, you know? Yeah. like. Well, and, and I, on top of that, just so the listeners know, 
first of all, every New York City mayor runs for president at some point, right? Mike ran and lost. De Blasio ran and lost. Uh, Koch, Rudy. Koch. Koch, Koch didn't run, but he like talked played, about played running. With John Lindsay. John Lindsay, yep. No New York City mayor, forget about being president, has ever been elected to anything else. There's no New York City mayor that's ever become governor or senator. The only example was like, Someone who ran Brooklyn when it was an independent city in the 1800s then became governor. So, like, since the unification of the late 1800s, it has literally been the most dead end. In fact, I remember I was, you know, the same as I mentioned my conversation with Scott Stringer to come to try to run against de Blasio. I had a meeting with Hakeem Jeffries, and I kind of said to him, and I felt like, look, full disclosure, dude, you, this, you better really, really want this job as mayor because it's probably the last job in politics you ever had. I think when he heard that, and he was like, oh, no, 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 I got better things to do. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think the odds of Eric Adams, as, as excited as we are for him, uh, of being the next president are still probably not that I mean, strong. who, by the way, who knows is the point. Like, let him get in there, and, like, national reporters are almost silly in their ability to spend five minutes paying attention to New York, reading a couple of headlines, and then declaring the thing as if it's a real thing. And, by the way, sometimes it might turn into a real thing. There were people in 2013 that said, Bill de Blasio, biracial family there's no chance he's not the future of the democratic party and now he would have trouble getting a job at cnn right like you just have to let things play out a little bit i think national reporters who some of whom i love um tend to like you know try in, in an effort to fast track analysis to some kind of crazy unrealistic place maybe to get more clicks say things that are a little bit like insane and maybe eric will be the democratic nominee in 2024 let him get in there and uh do what he's been doing in the last three days and do it for the next 1200 days and then we'll see yeah what could go wrong all right chris coffee thanks for joining us thank you thanks for having me